Our scripture reading today is found in the book of 1 Peter, chapters 1, verses 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's one story, this story that we live, this story that we breathe, this story that touches our emotions and our hearts. The story of love and this story of grace. This story of being and not just being, but being in a state of sin and then in a state of grace and one day in a different state altogether, only we have such difficulty imagining it. We have such difficulty penetrating it. Because the story of the God who created is the story of the God who redeemed. The one who knelt and formed us and breathed life into us is the one who redeems and the one who breathes life into us yet again in resurrection and in glory. It's a long story, an epic story. A story we have difficulty getting our minds around. A story that consumes the better part of a book this thick, which most of us have not taken the time to fully read. It's a story in which God interacts with mankind and humankind. It's a story in which we learn about ourselves, the truth about ourselves. And that is perhaps why Easter weekend is the most important weekend of all. Because it's the time of the year in the Christian calendar when the story is made complete. That beautiful song we just heard focused on the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. The sacrifice. The brutality of that moment. The terror that darkness brings the irrationality of it, the cruelty of it, the hopelessness of it, the darkness of it, that a man such as Jesus should be treated in such a way is beyond comprehension. And yet it's the story without salvific implications, without salvation implications that occurs again and again, isn't it? As we treat each other so cruelly. But he enters this reality, this darkness, this cruelty. And he journeys in it declaring that he is the light of the world, the light that drives out darkness. And as he drives out darkness with deeds of love and acts of kindness, as he drives out darkness with teachings that set people free instead of tying their hands and oppressing them, as he lives a message of kindness, gentleness, and demonstrates that his kingdom is not one of force, as he submits to what we all must submit to, death. 
and enters it darkly. The story is not complete until we get to resurrection morning. And depending on the gospel account, he is risen for he has life within himself or he hears the voice of his father who calls, calls to him. Life. Resurrected life. Immune from death from this point forward. Immortal. That's the story. And what I'd suggest to you this morning is that we are very familiar with the story of sin. We live in some fashion, its effects and consequences even entering into its damaging results day after day. And we know the story of grace. We've listened. We've observed. We've submitted to the impossible that a God who created us could love us so much as to redeem us also in such an agonizing way. And that we cannot save ourselves, but that we are saved by grace through faith in one who is the lover of our souls, the creator and the redeemer of us all. This is the big story. This is, this is the, I'll teach you a new word. It's a meta-narrative. That's a wonderful word. I hear it and I sometimes say, what does that mean again? And I kind of have to come back. It's this huge overarching story, this, this mega story, if you will, that we find ourselves in a little piece of. The story of God's grace and his interactions with humankind. We're familiar with the idea that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we must take up our what? Cross and what? Thank you, yes. We must take up our crosses and follow him. And the way of the cross is a way of suffering and a way of what? Death. We take this up while proclaiming that we have entered into life and life more abundant in Jesus Christ. We read such odd sayings as those who would seek to keep their lives shall lose them and those who would lose them for my sake will keep them and we scratch our heads with wonder for this makes absolutely no no sense at all to us in the rationality and ecology of the world in which we live and move. And I think apocalyptically, we'll get to that momentarily, as Adventist people, We look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ, at least superficially, but we silently shudder at what we know must come, these times of difficulty and trial, these moments when we might not just end up carrying a cross, but might be nailed to one as Christ was, these moments of suffering and the death that comes we call a sleep. And I think sometimes in our minds, this is sort of the, the end of the story. This is really it. And I don't know whether it's because of what we focus on in the story or if it's because of our fear. I don't know. Maybe it's because we, we just have difficulty seeing beyond the life we live. But the revelation of Christ is not only in the birth and not only in the development, and not only in the life, and not only in the ministry, and not only in his sayings and teachings and word, 
the revelation of Christ is not only in his actions under duress and difficulty, his work as a discipler. The revelation of Christ is not only the lamb who goes to the slaughter and in unimaginable grace says, Father, forgive them. The revelation of Christ is in the resurrection. It's in the glory. It's in the one who was and is and is to come. Revelation chapter 1. There's the prologue and the greetings. And John steps in at the end of verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. uh, Verse 7. Description of his coming. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who crucified him, who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And to this, Jesus replies in the Revelation 1.8, I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the Revelation. We read forward and find this wonderful description of who he, what he looks like. And we come to his words in verse 17. Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Those are powerful claims. Those are resurrection claims. Those are Easter claims. Those are claims of one who has run the gauntlet. Those are claims of one who lives, not one who is dead. Those are claims made by one who holds the power of life in his hands. The creator and the redeemer. And in Revelation 4, we hear that song played. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their very being. Chapter 5. And there is a new song sung, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. You've heard that before. That was in chapter 1 as well. Worthy is the Lamb to receive, who is, who is slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. We have this revelation. And it's a revelation not just of creation, not just of redemption, but it's a revelation of resurrection and of glory. 
And this Easter weekend, if we can get a hold just of a little tiny piece of that in Scripture, in this great meta-narrative, there's the word again, there'll be a quiz afterward, this great story that we're a part of, just a little piece of that, we can know the real end point. The real end point isn't this journey we're on. The real end point isn't suffering or death. The real end point is not the grave or our sleep. It's resurrection and immortality. The life of God lived out in us forever. Well, the revelation goes on. There is a multitude, 144,000 that receive the seal of God and a great multitude in white robes who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Salvation, they say in chapter 7, verse 10, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, verse 12, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God to serve him day and night in his temple. These are they who fulfill this prophecy, this word. Not only will they serve day and night in his temple, but he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, there's so much in this story. There's so much in each detail. But when we get to Revelation 11, without going into the trumpets, although this is the seventh trumpet, and the symbols are rich, we have this seventh angel sounding his trumpet, And the loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. That is the story. That is the story of redemption. And I can't say it enough. You see, the the piece that I want us to try to get a hold of and hold on to this year, last year I think we talked about uh, Easter and the calendar. I think the year before that, the... Uh, essential thought was uh, on, on resurrection also, but with a different understanding or a different perspective. This year I want you to get a hold of the piece that says resurrection is revelation because death doesn't reveal to us our destiny. Life does. Suffering and pain and death do not reveal to us the final outcome of our journey here. Resurrection does. Resurrection does. The gospel of Jesus Christ really centers on two ideas. One of the most important for us to get a hold of is resurrection. When we accept somehow the notion of resurrection, that Christ is indeed alive, then we have a basis for belief. Because as Paul points out in elsewhere in the passage in, in 1 Corinthians that was read today, the passage in 1 Corinthians tells us that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied. 
because we've been deluded and we're fools. That's how important this is. It hinges on this idea. And not this idea, this historical reality, this truth. That's why the Bible has so many witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. I've reached a sermon some time ago on the road to Emmaus. It was a communion Sabbath. This is post-resurrection. Jesus is walking with two disciples and they don't know who he is until they offer him hospitality and he reaches to for and breaks the bread and their eyes are opened and they see who Jesus is in the breaking of the bread in the fellowship there are countless eyewitness accounts in the New Testament and many more that weren't of course recorded we can probably count the ones in the New Testament But it's cited that over 500 people saw Jesus after the resurrection. Over 500. He appeared to his disciples. He penetrated rooms that were shut and locked. He appeared randomly in places where he wasn't expected. He often wasn't recognized. Because resurrection had transformed him from a bloody, beaten heap of mutilated flesh to a risen Lord who would never again taste death. And as Adventist people, I think we have two things that we need to understand too for our own message and our own day. We'll explore these sometime. But we need to know why the delay in the coming and what did Jesus mean when he told his disciples that some of them would not see death before he returned. If we can deal with that, just as we need to deal with resurrection, our minds will be freed to accept what's to come, the glory that God has for us because of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come.